stop Googling and start listening for the love of wellness. With over 50 years in women's wellness, hosts Sam Leeson and Laurel Crossley, along with a weekly special guest, will explore gaps and issues within the women's wellness industry. If you're passionate about topics affecting women's health, such as sleep, grief, body image, and much more, then please stay tuned. We're so excited, and we just can't hide it. Yep, masks are coming off, and lots of us are super excited. Some of us are not so excited, and we're not showing our excitement because there's a lot of grief and grief response as we unmask. On today's episode, we're talking with resident expert Kirsten Fry, grief recovery specialist, who'll be talking about the challenges of unmasking. Today's episode is brought to you by Little Wellness Company. We are excited to welcome back Kirsten, and she's going to talk to us again about grief and about how we process grief. But today we're also talking on the day that legislation has come down that we can unmask in this province. Let's talk about unmasking our grief. So welcome, welcome. We're happy to have you here. Thanks, ladies. I always love coming to chat with you. Um, The conversations are always so empowering and just inspiring, I find for me. So thank you for the opportunity to come and talk about this. I am so thrilled and excited. I think all of us are sort of breathing a sigh of relief, recognizing that, again, we get to choose whether uh, we want to continue to mask or not. And I think that's an important piece to remember is that we are all processing this experience in our own way and to really honor what feels comfortable and safe for us to do without judgment or criticism or analysis from anybody else. So personally, I'm excited to be able to be able to remove the mask in various areas. And I appreciate the opportunity to talk about like, let's talk about unmasking our grief over these last couple of years with what we've gone through. And it's so interesting because, as you know, we're coming out the back end of COVID and I think everybody's spring is coming. There's a natural sort of lift that's starting to happen for a lot of people. And then just as we're seeing this, all this geopolitical issues are happening in the world with Ukraine and other areas in the world. And again, people are like you start to feel like you're lifting and then it feels heavy again. So what I'm finding in the conversations that I've been having with people is that people are feeling heavy and it's not lifting for them. It's like, it's almost like they're waiting for the other shoe to drop. They don't want to get too excited about anything. There always seems to be one other thing coming for them. And so I really appreciate this opportunity to talk about grief because I, I truly believe that we have been moving through collectively a grieving experience over these last two years. And even within that collective experience of COVID, we still have been having our own individual and personal changes, losses, and transitions that have been happening in our life. You know, I noticed today when I was out for my walk, the crossing guard that I see every morning actually stopped. She didn't, she stopped me and she said, do you walk for this purpose? And she did a whole story with me. I've been walking by her every morning and Today, of all days, 
she stopped me to purposefully ask why, what was my purpose for walking? I noticed too, that the children, they didn't have their masks on. And I just noticed like joy and glee coming from the children. I don't know if the adults feel the same, uh, but certainly it felt, can I say less dense out there? It felt hopeful and more spiritually lovely, if I can say that, despite what's going on, you know, externally. So how, when you talk about unmasking grief, what are you referring to? when you use that terminology? <laughs> so, so let's look on the flip side of that. What is masked grief, right? So that's a situation where we've become so adept at suppressing our feelings of emotional pain that we begin to take on other symptomatology, which again is normal for human beings because we are resilient. So we learn to adapt to all these like changes that we're moving through, a lot of them outside of our own control. But just because we're adapting, as we've talked about previously, doesn't necessarily mean that we're healing. So we're dealing with it from a, a logical perspective, we're intellectualizing these changes, transitions and losses we're having, but we're not actually dropping down 10 inches into our heart space and honoring what's actually emotionally coming up for us, right? And it's important to do that. The logic is obviously important. We have things that we need to do. We have responsibilities and all of that, but we also need to honor the emotional uh, perspective on it because emotions are messengers for us. We're not our emotions. So if I'm angry, I'm not actually angry. I'm feeling angry. And I think that's I think it's important to make that discrepancy. So even when we're talking to our children, we can we can talk to them about how it's okay to feel angry or sad or any of the other emotions that we have moving through. And I think the problem is, is because over our lifetimes, we've been taught how to acquire things, especially in our Western culture. We know how to get a job. We know how to get our education. We know how to get all the things that we're looking for, but we've never really been taught what to do when we lose those things. And that's part of our human experience. It's the uh, things coming together and things falling apart. And that can happen in a variety of ways in our life. And so most of us have had very little formal training on how to deal with loss. So like how many of us can say as an, as an adult, we had an adult sit down with us when we were children and share how to deal with emotional pain. I know that never happened in my house. I don't know about you two. No. Not at all. So we tend to learn about loss or how to deal with it based on like every circumstance that kind of comes through for us. So we're learning as we're going. And often when we're little, it starts with maybe small encounters, like as for us and Laurel, you, I've used this um, example with you before, like for children, maybe a loss of a favorite toy, which for an adult might seem like not a big deal in the scope of things. But for that child, that's like, they're, if it's their favorite stuffy and that stuffy is now gone for them, that's a tremendous loss, right? But we may be discounting it as not being really all that important. And in our scope, it might not be, but for our child, it is. And so those shared words become embedded tools in how we learn how to deal with loss. And it's not through any fault of ours or our parents, because let's face it, our parents didn't want us to feel bad and we don't want our children to feel bad, right? So we hear things like, don't feel bad, don't feel sad, we'll get you a new one. Often this happens with like toys or pets when we're younger. And rather than allowing our children to express 
or vent their emotional pain without even realizing it, we're encouraging them to suppress it, right? And so then as we get older, we start to hear things like, you know, big boys, big girls, don't cry, be strong, stay busy, time will pass and it will heal, right? As ways of dealing with our loss so that it will hurt less. But the reality is it actually does very little to help us with that emotional event. And it encourages our kids to stuff their side or unhappy feelings inside them. And let's face it, as adults, we tend to mask or suppress our feelings so that we can be socially appropriate. That's what we've all learned to do. And our children are watching us. So they are learning how to do the very same thing. And so this becomes a lifetime pattern of behavior on how to deal with loss or change in our life that becomes generational. We've been taught to armor up against our vulnerable emotions. And feel good. So we have a feel good it's like we, we fill ourselves with feel good juices. So we don't, so we juices. Well, in that case, it might be wine, <laughs> but you know, the feel good feelings. Oh no, we can't feel bad. We have to feel good. And parents often come to me and say, can you help me manage my child's behavior? And I say, no. And they're like, what? I said, no, we're supposed to have or manage emotions. Not the behaviors, but the emotions and the behaviors associated with it. You got you to gotta help them manage their emotions. No. What do you mean? Like manage joy? That's my favorite thing to say to an adult. You mean like manage their joy or happiness? They go, no, no, no. The negative emotions. I go, what emotions are negative emotions? So people don't even understand that this is just the way it is. Like, because... What happens, ladies, when I'm going to ask Sam, what happens, Sam, when you hold in your feelings, 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 what happens to you? What, where does it go in your body? Well, that's what I was just going to say is, you know, we're talking about suppressing things and pushing our feelings down and only wanting to project happiness and joy. But what we're forgetting is when we aren't acknowledging how our body is feeling and we're pushing things down, we end up with issues like irritable bowel syndrome or pelvic inflammatory disease or cardiac issues or blood pressure challenges. There's so many different ways that stress and concern and worry, thyroid presentations, swelling in our, our lymph nodes it manifests in so many physiologic ways. If we don't have a way to appropriately process how we're feeling, feel what we're feeling and acknowledge that we're feeling the things that we are without being dismissed. We want people to be happy because it makes us uncomfortable when they're not happy around us because we don't know how to fix it. And I have said this, and I actually was having a conversation with someone last week, we were talking about loss, a pregnancy loss, and they were asking me how to help the parent who lost a child. And and I said, sit with them, ask them questions about the child, ask them how they're feeling, ask them to tell you what's happening with them. Don't try to pretend the child didn't exist. Don't pretend the child didn't have a name. Give power to that dynamic, that relationship, because that honors them and the child, and that will help them move forward. They don't want to forget. That's a hundred percent bang on. And that's the interesting thing. And it's, uh, this just came out too this week. Uh, there was an article in the New York times that in the States they've now added prolonged grief as one of the 
I don't know, I don't even want to say like disorder, however, they term it for the DSM five, for the it's sort of the psychology or psychiatry Bible um, that people use in order to um, determine that and it's tough. They put a year limit on that in terms of people who are, and they recognize that it's for a small group of people who might be pining or not being able to move forward in their life. And there's a whole lot of people in my world, like therapists and counselors, which I am not a therapist or counselor. I just want to make clear. I'm a, I am a coach that is certified in the grief recovery method. And people that talk about grief are like, wow, this is, we need to be so, so careful with this because there is no time limit for people. And while loss is universal, grief is personal. And so some people may move through that grief experience more quickly because their relationship with that person. And if they were more emotionally complete with that circumstance, it may not last as long or be impacting them for as long. The fact is, is if we love, we grieve. And so you can't, you can't say that there's maybe necessarily an endpoint. It's being able to learn to live with your life moving forward. But as you said, Sam, acknowledging that person or that experience or that event and the things that you learn from it and to be emotionally complete with that as you move forward. And I think that's the key piece. Exactly what you said, to Sam, too, about our bodies processing. And this is so important because this is a discussion that doesn't come up when people are grieving initially. And it's that our bodies are actually designed to process, right, rather than strictly store things. And, you know, that's the key physically as well as emotionally. So even if we look at it from a nutrition perspective, you know, we consume and process our food. So that creates energy to fuel our organs. And when we take in more food or fuel than necessary, our body is going to store that as fat. Well, when we have too much fat storage in our system, that can over time have a negative uh, consequence on our overall health. But our bodies are also designed to process our emotional experiences. And if we deny that, we're actually denying or or dishonoring our, our natural way of being as human beings. So when we suppressing, storing, and masking our emotions, that can result in negative consequences for our health as well. All of those things, Sam, especially for women, if you want to talk about that piece of it, you know, the things that we maybe assume as like, well, it's just normal for me, like my headaches or ulcers or gut and intestinal issues. That's a huge one for so many of us that we just think it's like no big deal. And it's like, no, it's a big deal. There's a reason why there's that disturbance in their skin disruptions, heart rate, anxiety. All of these are common symptoms of suppressed emotions from an unaddressed grieving experience. But of course, they can also be symptoms of a medical issue. So we tend to deal with it as a physical problem, rather than potentially a sign of masked grief, not just for us as adults, but you know, to keep an eye out for our, our kiddos, right, that may also be moving through that experience. So we end up dealing with the symptom but we're not actually dealing with the real problem. And so when our underlying emotional pain doesn't get dealt with, that's when we find other ways to manage that uncomfortable, painful feeling that's coming up for us. And we can do that in a variety of ways, like with food or alcohol or uh, shopping or, you know, gambling, any of overworking, overtraining, there's lots of things that we do to help sort of mitigate the painful emotions that we're feeling, even the ones that are now physically manifesting within ourselves. And I'll be honest, that's actually what brought me to grief recovery is I was starting to have physical manifestations 
of my unresolved grief. And so I can speak from my experience that this was my reality. This is what brought me to helping to deal with my emotional baggage that I wasn't even aware that I had because I wasn't referencing it as grief. You know, when I went through the grief process, Kirsten knows quite a bit of my story, but I didn't realize um, that I was coming home after dealing with my mother, who we knew was dying at the time, and consuming alcohol and chips. And I mean, I just didn't stop. And it's like, I just zoned out and I don't even, it was like an out of body experience, if I can say that. And it was three years of that. So three years of all that stress. And I had my, that stuff comes out in skin disruptions, eczema, pimples, cysts, lovely bumps that show up. And I go, what the snorkel is that thing? And it's because it was the feelings just pushing everything down. And I think the struggle is if you can, if I can say this, Kirsten, is when you're going through this, and you mentioned at the top of the show that, you know, it's about families and family well-being. When everyone is grieving individually, where do you start with that? Like, so you got kids grieving, um, you know, the mask situation, the, the pandemic stuff, and maybe there's some extra situational stuff. You've got parents that are in, how, who do you focus on? <laughs> like, where do you start? The littlest to the biggest? I don't know. I don't know how you, like, what happens? Where do you go? It's such a good question. And it'll depend on every family, of course, and the, and that dynamic within that family. But honestly, I would, we need to deal as the adults, we have to lead, whether we're leading the conversation, we are sharing with our children, especially like with COVID or these things, like especially with our children who are in school, who are hearing the news or hearing social media reports of all these things that are happening and maybe coming to us with questions. It's being honest about how we feel in an age appropriate way, of course, and leading that. And if we recognize that, hey, I don't actually have all the tools to deal with this either. Maybe I haven't been dealing with my own emotions around things. And what happens is grief compounds, like you said, Laurel, if we just keep layering it, layering it, layering it, and we get so good at being able to like sit on it and suppress it and bury it and all those things, but all that unexpressed energy is going to come out. It leaks out somewhere. So it may come out in behavior. It comes out in our health and our finances and all these things. So really us doing our grief work first so that we can lead and break that generational misinformation that we have around grief, the discomfort about talking about painful or uncomfortable emotions. It's because we're not comfortable talking about it, that then our kids aren't able to be able to talk about it. And they may actually be better able to, they may want to come and talk to us about it, but because that triggers us because it's, we haven't dealt with our own unresolved grief um, we can't really be present for them. So it's so important that we acknowledge that, hey, you know, we, we are all going to move through loss 
change and transitional experiences in our life. And we just haven't been given the tools. But for all the parents, if they're looking for something out there, a great book, you can order it on Amazon. It's called When Children Grieve. It's a great book to help you kind of like find the language if you really want to be able to help your kids um, and work through a process that might be helpful for them so that they can be honest. And kids you find are, are the younger to the better. They're just, they're willing to be open and all of these things. So really the best thing we can do is, is deal with our own grief and loss that we've had. It's kind of like telling somebody to put their own mask on first. We can't, you can't look after somebody else if you're not breathing yourself, right? It's the same kind of thing, I would think. And that's the thing. And we see it in our kids because you can see that shift, right? When they move from being like fully present little beings that show up in all their emotions and like in the moment and they release it all too. They're so brilliant at that, right? We have that too. We were like that as children, but we've lost that because the mask came down, right? How we had to be appropriate and we had to be behaved and we had to be, you know, whatever we had to be. And that mask, I think, you know, we, we've done that, it, and, you know, and Brene Brown, I love her so much. And she talks about like walking to the arena, right? Where we've learned to go into the arena of life, like brave faced and fully armored up, right? So we've adapted to these like heavy experiences that we have that become suffocating. They become a burden over time, right? And we've adapted to that load and we're carrying it, not even recognizing how heavy that load is. So the problem with that, though, is that when we are armoring ourselves against the vulnerability of all those conflicting emotions that can come up in a grieving experience, we are shutting ourselves off from the connection, from the love, from the support that we need. It's not even a want. It is a necessity as a human being. We need that. So being able to remove our mask and take off the armor so that we can be seen and heard with people that we trust, because again, not everybody deserves to hear your story or is able to hold, have the capacity to hold the space for your story. But when we're able to do that with people that we trust, it opens the door to trust and empathy, healing, belonging, joy, right? And love, which... I believe that's what we're meant to be here for, to live our lives like fully expressed and free. So guess what? You fully expressed and we are free now that you fully expressed. We have to, <laughs> we have to finish off the show. We've run out of time again. So Kirsten, how can we find you? Where can people find you? You can find me through my website, which is www.tlclifecoaching.com. I'm also on Instagram, which is the one that I'm probably on most often as, um, again, Instagram, the at TLC, uh, TLC Life Coaching as well. You can find me on Instagram and still also on Facebook. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was great to talk to you again. Thanks for listening to the Boobs, Bods and Brains podcast. If you would like to learn more about us or our past episodes, then check us out on Instagram. Click the link in our bio to visit our website to learn more about sponsorship opportunities. We are always excited to have you offer different show topic ideas. If you have a suggestion, reach out via Instagram or our website. And as always, don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the Boobs, Bods and Brains podcast and invite all of the women you know.